Come in the shadow she calls And in the shadow she finds a way Finds a way And in the shadow she crawls Clutching her faded photograph My image under her thumb Yes, with the message for my heart Yes, with the message for my heart She's been everybody else's girl Maybe one day she'll be her the doorway they stay and laugh as violins fill with water screams from the bluebells can't make them go away well I am not 17 but I've cut on my knees falling down as the cherry tree she's been everybody else's girl maybe one day she'll be her own everybody else's girl maybe one day she'll be A story is true, a story is untrue, a story is a work of transformative fiction. As time extends, it matters less and less. Hello, I'm Kendra Spring Classic, and welcome back to Reading Between the Lines, a podcast by fandom nerds for fandom nerds. This podcast is all about fan fiction, the much maligned art form that, nevertheless, brings many people cathartic levels of joy, not just in the reading of it, but in the creation of it as well. If this is your first time listening, welcome! We're so glad to have you. But be sure to go back and listen to episodes 1 and 2, A Vulgar Holy Thing by Lupus Maris, and You Turned Me Into Somebody Loved by Jay Noves. Two stunning sweet stories and two fascinating and insightful interviews. In the first two episodes, I featured Silver Flint stories, This time, we're shifting focus and looking at the fandom's favorite punching bag, Eleanor Guthrie. As much ire as Eleanor incites in the Black Sails fandom, she equally inspires introspection, as my chat with Mary, aka Witch Queen, will only serve to illustrate. This is a brisk 10-minute ficlet, a major change in pace, but it also accompanies our longest post-story discussion yet. I'm so very excited to share Mary's story, Your Life for Mine. Be sure to stay tuned after the story when Mary and I talk about her motivation for choosing such a highly unlikely subject and take a deep dive into family dynamics, childhood trauma, and yes, daddy issues. So throw back a stiff one, lie back on the couch, and unpack your trauma with us as we hang out and dish on Eleanor and Vane. 
Your Life for Mine by Witch Queen Summary A character study about how Eleanor might have been feeling right after she visits Charles in prison in episode 309. Spoilers up to 309. Notes I have no idea why I did this, but Eleanor baffles me, and I kept wondering what she was thinking after she talked to Charles in prison, so I decided to write it. As a prolific Eleanor hater, I tried not to be unnecessarily harsh here, and this is my take on her and why I think she's like this. Your life for mine. Eleanor walks away from the cell without turning back. She holds her head high as she passes the guards, looking forward, hands clasped together in front of her, squeezing so tight that her fingers are beginning to turn white. But she cannot lose her composure. Not here. Once she is back in her room, however, she collapses onto the floor. She holds a pillow over her mouth to muffle her sobs as the tears begin to fall. Sometimes, when she cries, she is able to keep herself collected enough to maintain her dignity. But these tears were ugly. Ones that came with red eyes and snot and a lump in her throat where she stifled her keening. These tears were honest. She claws her hands into the pillow, frantically running through everything Charles said, everything she said to him. She tells herself that she was justified, that she had to do this for a higher good, that he has done monstrous things and therefore he could not have loved her. Not really. The alternative was accepting that she herself was monstrous, that she could not have loved him. Not really. Deep down, in a hollow place inside of her she cannot bear to acknowledge, she believes that only a monster would find her lovable. It does not cross her mind that Charles could do terrible things and still truly care for her, that both of them could commit grave sins and still be deserving of connection and comfort. She searches her memories, trying to find some scraps of evidence that Charles never loved her. There are terrible ones, of course. Her father's murder, his indifference when Max was being abused by his crew. She feels rage boil up within her at the thought. And most of it is directed at Charles. If she were honest, she would admit that she blames herself for betraying Max. She could never allow Charles to know this, of course because to do so would be to lessen his guilt. And if he didn't feel guilty, he may have stopped trying to win her back. She can't deny, however, that among these memories were others. The touch of a hand in her hair, the piercing eyes that seemed to look into a part of her that felt hollow and longing, but that she was unable to open for him. She can tell herself that he's a monster, yet she can still remember the feeling of her hand on his chest quietly soothed by his steady heartbeat. A man, then, not a monster. Eleanor screams now into that pillow, shrill and unrestrained. He promised to deliver you to me, Charles had said. Promised to exchange your life for his. He didn't have to realize her worst fears about her father. It would have been kinder to take this knowledge to his grave. She knows he was telling her the truth. Despite what she may have told him, Charles Vane is not a liar. But this is incidental. She knows her father well enough to know the truth of it. She was never good enough for him, not even toward the end when they were repairing their relationship. Charles always hated him, and told her that her value wasn't determined by his favor, 
Eleanor would tell him that he didn't understand, because his fathers were less complicated. One was cruel and despicable, and the other nurtured him and saw his talent. He didn't understand what it meant to have a father who was both at the same time. What a fantasy this must have been for you, he said. He was right. Until she saw him, it had been a fantasy. She was doing her duty to the governor by taking out the biggest threat to him. Maybe he would even be proud of her strength to take charge and do such a hard thing. Charles would hang, and the pirates would turn against each other, making space for order to be restored to Nassau. It was a fantasy, and now it was shattered. She hadn't found the fearsome pirate Captain Vane. She'd found Charles. Her Charles once. Nothing he had done could completely remove the way she felt when she saw him. And not even death would take it away. She lets out a shuddering sob, unable to keep the weight of her actions from engulfing her. Charles would hang. Because of her. There was nothing she could do about it now. She pulls her face away from the pillow and notices that it is stained with blood from her hands. Charles's blood. Still, the tears come, but she is so exhausted that she feels completely disconnected. She observes her bloody knuckles, the fresh wounds betraying any stoicism she may attempt to project. These wounds belie a pain that can only come from loving someone so deeply that you burn hot enough to destroy them. Charles had said that she thinks his love is an inconvenient obstacle to her ambitions. And he's right, in a way. My ambition is to live, Eleanor thinks. She was once in his shoes and was given the opportunity to save herself. Her affection for Woods may be growing, but she did not come back to Nassau for him. She did not come back to Nassau for Charles either, or for vengeance against her father. She came back because the alternative was a noose around her neck, spectators clawing for pieces of her hair and clothing to sell as souvenirs. Fuck that. Charles had refused to sign the confession, of course. Eleanor had hoped that she could at least feel like she offered him the option of mercy. It didn't feel merciful in the end. The gesture feels hollow. She knew he would never supplicate to anyone, much less a king. She had long thought that Charles, who eschews any connections to legitimate avenues of power, was misunderstanding a fundamental truth. There will always be empires, always someone at the top who will press their boot on your neck whenever you become an inconvenience. She grew up under a long shadow of threats, from pirate captains, her father, the crown. It didn't really matter, because she knew that at the end of the day, she was weaker than they were, and she had to make herself convenient if she didn't want to be crushed. There was no such thing as a world without fathers. She takes a deep breath and stands, finally relinquishing the abused pillow and placing it on the table next to the bed. Someone else would take care of it. Get your shit together, she tells herself. She needs to go visit the governor to continue with her plans. Her feelings about Charles no longer matter, and she can choose to stand by her choices or crumble under the weight of them. She walks over to the mirror and wipes her eyes, cleans her hands with a cloth. She has to move on now.
and cannot allow the governor or his men to see her like this. With a final deliberate exhale, she approaches the door and opens it to find Nassau waiting for her. I'm so excited to be joined on today's episode by the insightful and introspective Mary, a.k.a. Witch Queen, a fanfic author I've gotten to know through Twitter and was absolutely delighted when she agreed to come on the pod and discuss Eleanor and all things Black Sails. We're going deep today, folks, so grab your scuba gear and let's dive right in. Okay, so welcome, Mary. It is absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. I'm nervous, as you can probably tell from how nervously I said that, but I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about this. So I I absolutely loved this fic, and not a lot of people write about Eleanor. Um, no, she's she's polarizing, very polarizing in the mm-hmm. fandom. Um, but she's so fascinating. So mm-hmm. to start off, when did you first discover Black Sails? Were you kind of new to the fandom or did you watch originally when it was airing? Yeah, so it was interesting actually, because I am I was pretty new to the fandom kind of this past summer. I I sort of came on board with the like our flag means death fandom, kind of some crossover there that happened, and the black sales fandom seemed to kind of like have a bit of a renaissance. Um, so I I came that way, but actually it's interesting because Black Sales is my partner's like favorite show ever. And he had been trying to get me to watch it for a really long time. And it wasn't that I didn't want to, it was just always like, I don't know, like if I'm like trying to get into that right now. So I did know some things about the show going in, some pretty big things, but he kind of like caught me in my like pirate brain rot moment and was like, let's watch Black Sails. And we started it and it was just like, I, I don't even know, like it just kind of like took over mm. my entire brain. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Shout out. Shout out to him for showing it to me. So what is your fandom background? I know you said you <laughs> came in from Our Flag Means Death. What what is your history with fandom involvement in terms of like just really getting um, entrenched uh, with the the rest of the community? Yeah, so actually in the past I was more involved um, with like like the cosplay kind of side of things. Um, I was really into the like Marvel and like like Marvel comics and MCU fandom for a while. Um, a bunch of other kind of like miscellaneous Buffy, Hannibal, like a few of the Star Treks, Supernatural for a while, some just like kind of assorted things. But um, yeah, that was kind of more what I did. And I wrote a few fix when I was like, like a teenager that as far as I can tell no longer exists. And I'm glad about it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was, this is, this is kind of, the first time as an adult I really have gotten into like the the fanfic like the writing fanfic side of things yeah there tends to be like a core 
um, group of fandoms that kind of all uh, come together to produce black sales fans. It's like a uh, kind of like a birth chamber. Like there's mm-hmm. <laughs> supernatural. Mm-hmm. Our flag means death and Hannibal a lot because mm-hmm. of those dynamics. Oh my gosh, yeah. the parallels. <laughs> yeah, there's so much of that. And I was, I'm also, I, I was predisposed to pirates because I grew up in North Carolina and, you know, like we would go with school to the Outer Banks and they would tell us about Teach's ghost. And like, I would like, I remember trying to look for Teach's ghost at night from like the hotel room. And yeah, so, wow. you know, yeah. So like I had sort of like a childhood kind of thing going on with it too. So do you have any desire to write for any other fandoms or has the brain rot just settled firmly right now? It's mostly still Black Sails. I'm actually currently writing one for uh, the game Disco Elysium um, that's a now very late birthday present for a friend um, of mine. But um, so I the, those are kind of like the two that are like biggest in my mind right now. Um, and maybe I've had some 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 Black Sails Witcher crossover kind of things in my head oh interesting yeah Mm -hmm. but um yeah but mostly still black sales is like what I'm interested in writing because I feel like I've really like gotten into those characters Mm -hmm. like into their brains in in a in a way and so it's like yeah that's like in terms of writing that's definitely more what I'm interested in Yeah. And there's so much just meat on the bones to pick at when it comes to black sales. Like it is infinitely accessible in terms of doing AUs or uh, just, you can look at any of these scenes from a multitude of angles and get something new. And, you know, we, people mm-hmm. prove that with, with endless rewatches as well. So it goes to show that you know, it's going to be very rich fodder for fanfic writers as well. What prompted you to start writing Black Sails fan fiction? Well, it's funny, actually, because I had I had started to get involved with the fandom on Twitter and had like made some like mutuals and, you know, kind of and I just kind of made an offhand comment about like, well, I should write fanfic, but like, I don't know if I'm like you know trying to write something that messy because I was like you know thinking about like I mean most of my fic is like mob fic so um this is like the only one that's not so um yeah surprise this is the one that's on the podcast Um, (laughs) (laughs) but but what happened was like I was just kind of being like well you know like uh, like just not even taking it seriously but like a like a bunch of people were like you should do it oh my gosh, you should totally do it. And like really encouraging and like continuing to bring it up and like, oh, are you like, are you like writing? I'm like, so I just decided to go for it because it was just like, I was kind of surprised at like how, how encouraging everyone was being. So I was just kind of like, okay, fuck it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to write this like ridiculous. (laughs) It was like a, it was like a silver flint vein situation. It was like 
So it was really, yeah. I love of course, it, they but... were encouraging you. They wanted to read mm-hmm. it. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they wanted a new dealer. Mm-hmm. No, like for real. You gotta get it. <laughs> no, like really though. Like that's... But so, yeah. So that was what I ended up writing was like over the top kink fic. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And so then I just, but it, when it was really fun, so I was just like, how do you keep writing stuff? Because this is fun. And it was nice to have an interest that didn't feel like high stakes. Like I didn't feel like I had to like, like I wanted to be good at it, but I didn't feel uh, the same kind of like perfectionism I tend to around my hobbies. So I think that mm-hmm. was kind of a relief. Mm-hmm. So uh, this particular fic centers on Eleanor and for the entire thing, you're in her POV. And Eleanor has been one of the most polarizing, one of the most hated characters on the entire show. And considering mm-hmm. you have the entirety of the British Empire, people tend to hate Eleanor more than those characters. I'm, mm-hmm. I guess I'm calling the British Empire a character, but more than what Rogers. But what are your thoughts on Eleanor? And, and obviously you don't have um, too many warm feelings for her, but what redeeming qualities do you see in her? Yeah, see, this is what's so interesting about that I'm here to talk about Eleanor because my cards on the table I don't really like Eleanor. I Mm -hmm. kind of hate her. I am a notorious Charles Vane fan. Like just, he's, I love him so much. Um, He's my sweet baby girl and never did anything wrong in his entire life. No, that's not true. He did many things wrong in his life, but I still (laughs) love him anyway. So that said, it's, it's interesting writing about her because I really, I don't like her. She's like fascinating to me like I, I like I kind of just want to shake her and be like what's your deal like what what's going on in there you know like and and I really struggled to empathize with her um after her betrayal of Matt that mm. was like I actually kind of liked her I was kind of like okay she's like kind of mean but like like I, I like her all right like you know she's the girl boss you know all that but like when she betrayed Max that just I couldn't yeah. after that and I don't like when I can't empathize with a character. Um, I, f- I find that troubling because I generally usually can. But in terms of like what redeeming qualities I see in her, see, that's like, that's so hard. And I think it's more like I see what she could have been if some of her circumstances were different. Because I think that like, I don't think she's like an inherently evil person I I don't think she doesn't care when she constantly betrays people who trust her I think she cares a lot and she keeps doing it anyway which is almost worse (laughs) in a way um I think I unfortunately see a lot of myself in her I say unfortunately because I think the things that I have in common with her are like not particularly flattering comparisons but I think you know I see I I I sometimes describe myself as a former troubled teen um and so like I think I I see that kind of like 
struggle for like identity like she doesn't really know who she is um and so she tries to find that mostly through men Mm -hmm. um which is very relatable to me because I think I I used to be much more that way um when I was younger and didn't really have a that sense of self and so I, I can I can relate to that so so it's it's hard because like I it, it's like I want to be like okay like she could have she could have been different if certain things had been different for her if her dad was different or if mm. you know like if, if it's, it's almost like if any one thing in her life had been a little different I think she could have been a lot kinder than she yeah. was but I yeah, yeah. I agree I also, however, think that in a lot of ways, she is a parallel to Flint. Mm -hmm. The way that she will regrettably betray someone um, Mm -hmm. to to stay true to her cause, to what she Mm -hmm. um, believes is the ultimate best goal, whether it's for her or for the group she is going to step over anyone that she feels that she needs to. And that included mm-hmm. Max and that, and you can see the regret. Um, but again, she does it anyway. Like mm-hmm. she, she understands. And that, I think that's one of the most upsetting things is that she understands in the moment what she's doing because mm-hmm. you see her understanding it. And then, yeah. then you see her go through with it anyway it's not unlike with Flint and Gates um, where he knows what he's doing. He is, he apologizes first, like that first, I'm sorry is before the neck crack. And that is, Mm -hmm. that is very much an Eleanor parallel um, Mm -hmm. that he knows, he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly the sacrifice that he is making, but in his mind, he has deemed it necessary and when he comes back and he talks to Eleanor he says you know what did you do what was necessary Mm -hmm. and so much of Eleanor could have had that same arc where um, she rises above that and understands the greater good and is swayed because that does happen I believe with Flint in season three once he meets up with the Maroons Um, He finally understands outside of his crazy, hyper-focused revenge mode that there is a greater cause out there and that it can align with his and that it can can do equally good. But I do understand I do understand the circumstances with Eleanor and her dad. Mm -hmm. She learned she was taught very, very early on that she has to survive on her own. Because he left her after the um, the Spanish raids, he left her. Having that understanding of your father, and then having that hatred, as well as understanding the need to still have him around, we can obviously go really deep into Eleanor's daddy issues. But the the thing that I fully understand is her rage towards Vane. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. I never had a great relationship with my dad, never. But if someone decided to take that decision out of my hands, it, that would be it. Like mm-hmm. I would fully mourn my father, even though I have a lot of trauma 
that I'm still unpacking. So, yeah. So I guess that's where I stand with Eleanor is like, I, I see the parallels with Flint and I understand. I've always kind of understood psychologically what broke her because she is not, she is not an unbroken person. Um, And you see that. And especially again, I'm going to shout out Kelsey because (laughs) Kelsey's artwork that she did Uh, for this episode. Mind blowing. It's so beautiful. But the reflection in the mirror, she's so sad. She's seeing who she was and she is like you, you brought this up and it was absolutely perfect. She does change her personality to go along with the, the man that who, who she sees as her savior in her life at that point. Yeah. And she has fully given herself over to this idea of this traditional English lady that she is not, and she fully hated. And you, you saw just how much she reveled in her own, I I guess we can say girl boss, but just in her own sense of confidence in Mm -hmm. season one, season two, when she was like, okay, Mm -hmm. all right, all right. I'm left with nothing, but I'm going to pick up the reins and we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to do it without my father. We're going to, we're just going to go. And I, I, I do admire that. That is what I admire with Eleanor. Yeah. I think she was the most herself in season two, at least that's the way I see it. Like even her clothing is kind of, it's different from season one. Season one is a little more, a little more masculine, a little more like, like loose. She's not wearing it. So I overanalyze costumes a lot. So like, like the <laughs> garments are, are not, there's, I mean, she, she's got some fitted pieces, but it's, there's less structured garments, less like fitted pieces mm-hmm. in season two. She's got like that cool leather jacket. Like she's got like some, some things that seem it's like different from things she wore in season one, but it's not the like restrictive, like, English lady kind of stuff she wears in the rest of the show and like I really I think in season two she was yeah like she was picking up the pieces and she was doing things for herself without Mm -hmm. her father and and I think and and she had her own goals like her you know like with slint and everything so I think and I definitely see like the parallels there and 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 the same with silver and Matt too I think there's parallels in in their stories yeah yeah definitely and 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 I yeah so I I see I see that as like the closest to like actual Eleanor we really Mm -hmm. get and yeah so it's 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 interesting like she you know you talked about like the the like her anger toward Vane because of like taking that that choice from her yeah Um, and I think it was that but I have kind of a so I have, I feel like sometimes I feel like I have like one of those like boards with like the string and the pins. Like I'm like, I've like <laughs> lost my mind or something when I talk about this. Cause I have this whole theory that kind of it, 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 in particular, it involves like three specific moments in the show with her in vain. And one is the, the conversation where he talks about like wanting she, how she wants to have a world without fathers um and one is their conversation in the um 
in the fort about like legitimacy where he's being like that's bullshit mm-hmm. um and um then the other one being the the scene in the prison which is so difficult um yeah but i think that like that i think that her anger toward Vane is about him killing her father but i think it's also about him not being a father figure because like like he he's not he's not daddy you know what i mean like he's not he wants to be equal partners with her he he legit i this is my take i think he legitimately wants to to be partners with her he's not interested in telling her what to do he's not interested mm-hmm. in being her father he's not interested in like you know controlling her yeah and i i think i think that doesn't sit right with her because i think i think that's why she ends up with someone like rogers because he is that he is yeah. kind of controlling he is trying to be like paternalistic to her and i think she holds like anger toward Zane for not being that yeah I yeah I can see that and I totally agree because um a lot of times you know when we whether it's toxic or not we we look for love that we understand um yeah and she doesn't because she was never presented any other options you know she doesn't understand Vane's kind of love which Mm -hmm. he's so soft with her yeah okay he punches her but at the same time like again it it goes back to um him viewing her as an equal and but the just every interaction like especially when they're having the meeting with Vane and uh Rackham and uh, to set up the the consort Mm -hmm. and when Vane is initially talking to Eleanor. He almost stutters. Like, mm-hmm. and he's asking when he's asking about the leads, like it, he, it just, he's so nervous because he so wants her approval and it's incredible. Yeah. You brought up something that I, that, that made my brain kind of ping. You said mm-hmm. in season two, Eleanor gets this like fitted leather jacket. Well, guess mm-hmm. who else gets a leather jacket in season two? and starts to harden flint mm, yeah. so we're getting those parallels co they mm-hmm. both go from the softer cloth um of season one and then going into heavier trauma and uh flint is about to go through it and eleanor is about to go through it it's like putting on t- a tougher skin mm-hmm. and preparing for battle and mm-hmm. like it is interesting that yeah. that wardrobe change change happens for both of them. Yeah, that I haven't even thought about that with Flint, but you're right. And like it, th- then they really do, you know. And then that's when they're the th- their alliance is like the the strongest. Yeah, and, you know that they really are. Yeah, like in that position. Yeah, and I think like that's where. And that was actually where I think I kind of, in a way, gave up on her at this, like, fully, in a way, exactly when Vane did. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I was, like, very much in his head the first time I watched it. And so, like, 
I was kind of like going back and forth on her, like as well, like along with him. Um, but like that was when I was kind of like, oh no, like that, that's not like that's this is like your last chance, you know. But it's it's she's it's it's interesting because she is more hardened. But whereas like Flint is like he's like trying to find his sense of self. Like I feel like they're both trying to find that sense of self, mm-hmm. but they're looking for it in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, and and that's part of why I think I had trouble also is because I I agreed with Vane. Um, and not just because I love him, but because I thought he was right about England's never going to accept you. That there's no legitimacy. And I think that like, I mean, black sales is is queer like it's a queer story but I think like even within it like I think Eleanor and Vane's story is kind of a queer story like even though I mean she's queer but like it well I have my theories about him but um like even even their narrative you know she's going for this she's going with Flint and this like kind of like assimilation and this like trying to to fit in and Vane is going no like that doesn't work they're not going to accept you. They're not going to accept me. That's just not how this works. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me because I think like, and I think that was why, part of why I was so much on his team there and kind of like the whole time, like looking at Flint and Eleanor, like, don't do it. Don't do it, y'all. This is a bad idea because I really didn't, I, I didn't think it would work. I didn't think that was going to, that anything good would come of them taking Abigail back to Charlestown. Like we, we all saw what happened, but I, yeah, like, I think that, that she, she, in trying to find herself and like create some stability for herself, she ends up going so far in the other direction that, mm-hmm. that she's, she's not, herself anymore like um the one that always sticks out to me is like with the embroidery and she just looks like so just like she hates it you know like yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then yeah. you when you see woods rogers projection of her after she's died and like his mm-hmm. mental what haunts him is her doing the embroidery and it's just like that's not that wasn't her dude like that was not her and it's just like she no one no one really got to see who she was but Vane Vane is the only one who fully understood her what what bothered me about the the entire interaction with Abigail and getting her out and and getting her to Flint is that you do understand that Miranda and Flint have, you know, a deep desire to make sure that she is safe. Obviously, mm-hmm. Miranda knew her as a child. But again, when you when you see the way that Eleanor interacts with her, even though she is the one, quote unquote, rescuing her, um, mm-hmm. she still has she still is fully using her as a pawn. Mm-hmm. just in just in a different way than vain mm-hmm. and it's it's really interesting now i and i don't think of course that it is 
of in her best interest at all to still remain caged up with a bunch of pirates. But at the same time, yeah, I agree that that her motives were great at best. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 just the thing. I think she's, I think she's like a a deeply selfish person, and like I get it because I think it's the kind of selfishness that comes from just like really severe trauma and mm-hmm. having to be selfish for like survival. I mean, like I I don't like I I get that, but it also ultimately she just does what she wants you know Mm -hmm. but but I I think that like it's like I go go back and forth on it because I think that she I think she convinces herself of a lot of things I think she and that's kind of like how I wrote her as like a very unreliable narrator like I think she convinces herself that a lot of things are true that are not true Mm -hmm. because she needs to believe them this is my interpretation I think Charles was telling the truth about her father and I think she knows that he was telling the truth because that sounds like some shit a little weasel like Richard Guthrie would do you know like that's he would he would absolutely do that and we don't really have any like evidence of Van lying to her really about anything he's pretty brutally honest so it doesn't make sense I mean, I think it was like kind. I think I think it was probably like you know pretty shitty to bring that up, but like yeah, um, <laughs> like but I I don't think he was lying. I don't think he would make that up. So you know, I think and I think she knew that. I think she knew it was true, and I think that's why yeah. she got so mad. Yeah. Um, with the prison scene, one of the things that like always strikes me is like I think that every awful thing she said to Vane. Hmm also is true about her and I think she knows that on some level in particular the stuff about like not having a mother and like Mm -hmm. it just I I think it's I think it's about her as much as it is about him oh yeah it's interesting because you know we all acknowledge that she does not she did not have a a real father figure in terms of someone to learn from how to be a decent human being Mm -hmm. but at the same time she didn't have a mother to learn how Mm -hmm. to be a woman in that society because look at the rest of the island if they are not having to sell their bodies to survive you know they are pirates or you know there's no there's no representation of a woman who is able to be strong on her own, except for Miranda. Mm-hmm. Miranda is the only representative of, of strong womanhood and strong motherhood that does not involve sex and does not involve violence. And not that there's anything against sex work for, for those who absolutely are surviving on it. Or, you know, if something, if that is personally fulfilling to you, there's nothing, I'm not maligning sex work at all, but to have no other alternative, to have no, to have no representative in your face. And I think she recognizes that immediately in that scene that she has with Miranda Mm -hmm. before, um, before Flint starts attacking the fort Mm -hmm. that uh, Miranda is initially in that in that scene extremely maternal to her. 
just, you mm-hmm. know, oh, you know, Flint has talked so much. It's very much like, in a way, Flint is her pirate daddy. So mm-hmm. like, oh, your father has told me so much about you. Like, it, that's just how that scene seems mm-hmm. to me at the very beginning. But the backlash is so instantaneous. Like, mm-hmm. she resents it so much to the point where I guess she feels resentful that she has to share Flint um, with mm-hmm. Miranda. But also she feels threatened, I think, by Miranda's ability to exist on her own merits without yeah. having to um, be on the coattails or or be under the wing of someone. Because technically she is under the wing of Flint, but she is very much strong on her own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, was yeah. able to survive for for long stretches when he is not there yeah and he's also like you know I think she also has a lot of power over him you know as well like in in her own way and Mm -hmm. honestly I think if if you gave every single person on that show like an hour in a room with Miranda she would fix them like I just everything absolutely she would just like I actually have this idea where I want to write a fic where her and Charles meet because I'm like she would fix his trauma like so fast Um, but but it's interesting like that you talk about like the thing with Miranda because that it's an it this is something I've thought about a lot but I haven't thought about it from the perspective of like the maternal figure I mostly thought about it from like like the the dad angle because that's just more personally where I tend to you know have like my own history my dad passed away a few years ago and mm-hmm. um you know he was he struggled with addiction when I was younger and um I think a big difference between um I feel like this sounds mean but she's like not a real person she's a character but like like I think one of the big differences is that my dad did actually love me um and like yeah. he, he cared and he tried so even when he was struggling like with his own stuff he like he tried to be a dad you know whereas like Eleanor's dad didn't didn't give a shit he really didn't and yeah like but it's I think because of that and because you know you were talking about like the way she just so rejects it I think and like this is hard to say because I think this is something that has taken me a long time is I think that Eleanor is mistrustful of anyone who loves her because she hates herself so much that she finds it suspicious that someone would love her and Mm. it's like she can't accept it because oh well if you love me I'm terrible so what's wrong with you that you would love yeah yeah oh I totally get that and I have I have felt that many times in my own life like Mm -hmm. oh if you really knew if you really yeah. knew me, you would not, you know, and it's such a broken way to think, you yeah. know, because, you know, of course we all are, are looking out through the filter of our own baggage and, um, through all of our life experiences, but, you know, and, but we'd never see everybody else's and, and it, it's just, yeah. So one of the, one of the things that now I'm curious about is whether, um, what have you taken from black sales, um, in terms of story and character yeah. complexity to that has informed your work as a therapist? 
that's actually really interesting because I think it 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 really it does make me think about like I think it's it's kind of like uh, it it interacts because I think a lot about um, uh, attachment theory and like the way we you know and so that's like why all this like mommy and daddy stuff comes up. It's not like a Freudian thing. It's not like sexual in any way, but it is like we learn we learn based on those like relationships we have from when we're tiny how to interact and be in like relationships with other people in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, and I think that's actually Eleanor and Vane both, like they just don't, they don't, I mean, in different ways, they don't have that. I mean, honestly, most of the characters probably don't for the most part. I think that's true, but I think, I think that's part of her, her struggle is that she, just from a young age, she didn't have a decent person to like learn how to be a person from yeah um and and you know I think about um in season four when um her her grandma was talking um about her dad and now he was I can't remember what it was it was a story about like a like an like a rabbit or something what was it the cat yeah yeah the cat that kept coming to bag yeah And like it, it makes you think like okay, like that was like beating out a Richard too, you know. Like at some point he was like a child who was capable of caring about a cat, you know, and mm-hmm. and that that changed, you know. And so I think that that's an interesting little parallel there because I think she just like learned to be kind of a dick, you know, like yeah, she was just like kind of a mean person. And I think I think she 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 just didn't have anyone to to learn that from and so I think it's not it's hard to say if it informs my work or if I sort of like it goes it like goes back and forth between like my work like influencing what I think about what I watch and actually that's true because I tend to view things like like I was saying how I think the first time I watched it I was really like thinking like vain I was like I just sort of like literally the first moment I saw him I imprinted on him like a baby duck and it was just like (laughs) he was the character I know he was terrible I didn't even like him but I just like was like this is my guy I I didn't like him yet um I was so in in his mindset and I think I did rather than looking at stories as like an overall thing I have a tendency to like sort of like zoom in on a character mm-hmm. and kind of like ride through the story from their perspective and I think that's I think it's because that's like how I just like tend to think because I'm used yeah. to trying to like empathize with an individual like that but I will say like this is like kind of going back to like like the queer narrative stuff because a lot of the clients I work with are queer and I definitely think that Black Silk is really like one of those things where it's not like I hadn't considered these things but I do think some of my perspective around like the idea of relationships in general was mm-hmm. really like expanded because there are so many different kinds of relationships like there's like you know I always think about like ranger crew in the end they they actually have like pretty functional healthy relationships with each other which yeah. is weird because they're like they start out like the messiest out of all of them you know and <laughs> yeah like but but like functional like poly relationships and like queer platonic relationships and like these like 
it's interesting to see that presented in a way of it just being normal not even not normal for like the world they're in because but that's the thing is like none of them are normal they're all different from other parts of society and so I think I tended to think of like the pirates of Nassau as like a queer community mm-hmm. um and so I think that is definitely something like that stood out to me is like looking at the way the relationship dynamics on the show play out and I think that's like impacted me a lot it is really interesting and I think um okay because sometimes you know my favorite part of these interviews is when someone says something <laughs> that I'm just like oh and it completely rewires your brain for a second okay yes the ranger crew <laughs> so what we have structurally in black sales is we have two polycules and we we have jack Anne, and max mm-hmm. and we have thomas flint and miranda mm-hmm. and those are our two polycules and it's it's interesting that you start out with looking at the healthy relationship before everything goes to shit that thomas miranda and and james have mm-hmm. um they're respectful um they're tender with each other they are checking in with each other and you know even with that scene there's no he doesn't thomas doesn't ask explicitly for consent when he kisses him that first time at dinner but there is there's a constant checking in mm-hmm. looking at looking yeah. at his face there is i mean the consent is there um yes. there are questions asked and answered Mm-hmm. Uh, on their faces. Yeah. Um, so you see that strong bond mm-hmm. and then you remove one of the legs of the table out from under it. Mm-hmm. You take out Thomas and that there's no structure there anymore. There's not enough. And then you have Jack, Max, and Anne and they're sussing each other out. They're, uh, they don't fully trust each other. But you see mm-hmm. over the course of the series that bond mm-hmm. form where they they do come to an understanding. They do develop a, a deep love. And I think it's also because you mentioned imprinting before. Jack and Anne, as mm-hmm. little, little baby people, they imprinted on each other. Oh, yeah. They are, you remove a leg from that table, it will structurally stand. Yeah. They have that bond and they have that strength in each other that James and Miranda did not have mm-hmm. that that is going to stand. And yeah. that pulls Max in because she sees that structure and she sees that trust and so she trusts in it and she falls in love with that structure as much as she falls in love with Anne. And yeah. I, I think, um, I think it's interesting that we do see those two parallels and one of those crumbles into dust and the other is standing tall at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that about like the structure. Cause I think about the, the you know, the, what Max said about it just being sand and like it, you mm-hmm. know, 
you feel, you know, that everything's like ephemeral for her, you know, nothing is, there's no stability, but like she does find some stability there. And I, I find that mm-hmm. really interesting. And I think it's like, I even like, you know, I also think of like, um, Featherstone and Adele um are like <laughs> like some of my favorites um yeah. I just like little, oh, I, I love them so much and um and also and so the, here's where I'm gonna get into my whole like this is my like fan and favorite stuff is like Vane and Jack because I am like a like a Van Rackham truther <laughs> I, I like I love their relationship and so like what you know like regardless of like the nature of it they have like you know like I'll write them one way but like they have like a like such a deep connection especially like when you see them in season three and like you know it's like Vane saw something in Jack or you know or he wouldn't or Jack wouldn't have been where he was you know and Mm -hmm. like when Jack really like comes into his own and you know he's like his own it's it's that thing of like being your own person right like when he is not in Bane's shadow and he's his own person they really have this like I mean he he cares about Jack so much that he didn't murder him yeah yeah doing something that Bane finds morally abhorrent yeah um and there's not many things Vane finds morally abhorrent so like that's you know that's pretty bad um but and it was it truly was like what Jack mm-hmm. did wasn't okay but the fact that their bond is so strong that he doesn't just straight up kill him I yeah. think is like really big there and I think like all of those like and that's like and then you see that addition too with like the polycule stuff with like the silver and Maudie like connection with Flint and the Hamiltons right like like there's like I feel like those yeah. are the 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 sort of like polydynamic ones that everyone tends to like group together because they do have these like extended sort of relationship networks yeah um, you know with 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 each and I, I think there's like yeah with like Vane's interactions with Jack especially as like Anne and Max uh get closer it's it does seem like Vane and Jack seem to become closer Mm -hmm. and so I see like yeah like a lot of like support and trust there which is really which is really cool I think yeah because yeah we do have the the canon polycules and then we have the subtextual polycule mm-hmm. that is that is desperately trying to form, except one of the table legs has a bomb strap to it. And uh-huh. that is silver. So uh-huh. like you uh-huh. can't the you know, Flint and Maudie were like, we are here for this table. Just strap us on. And and silver is just like, nah nah. John table's gonna I- go kablooey. I love writing John Silver. He's so tricky because I'm like, it's it's like, what's going on with you, man? Like, I don't, I, like, he's like, it's, it's impossible to know what's in his mind, but he is just so fun to write, I think. I think I can, um, some of the characters I have a really hard time writing dialogue for, and I think I can mm-hmm. write Silver dialogue easier for some reason um than than some of the others but um yeah he's just like 
he's just a complete wild part all the time yeah. and like you just never know and if we don't ever know because like even in the end you know when Flint's like tell me your backstory he's just like it's fine doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> and which you would think that that would be unsatisfying. That was not, an, at least to me, that was not an unsatisfying answer in the story. Like that, we don't get to know it. It felt like, yeah, okay, that checks out. But yeah, it's it's like a, and I think that's the thing is like, yeah, like whereas with with like the Ranger crew, like they the it sort of stabilizes with Flint and Silver, and you know, like yeah, like there is like this inherent instability that they just can't get past. And I think yeah, you're you're definitely right in terms of he is a definitely silver is definitely a tricky character and he is written in such a way that if it weren't for the performance that luke arnold gives there's no way that that you would be able to root for this character but there's so much that happens emotionally on his face you can see whole wars battled and it's it's it is remarkable. And I think that's why yeah. he and Toby play so well off of each other because yeah. they have this, they have the subtextual acting down. Yeah. You know, and really, I remember really in, strongly. Yeah. I, I remember in, um, it was one of the Fathoms Deep interviews with Zach McGowan. He talked, he talked like how there was like a question of like him and, and Luke and who was playing silver and who was playing vain like it was like not settled um, yeah and I I've thought about that a lot and I think like I think that Luke could have played vain and it would have been like pretty good it would have been a different vein it wouldn't have been Zach's vein which like, yeah that would be such a loss right like like I I think but I think he could have done a different thing and it would mm -hmm. you know but I just no disrespect to Zach because I love him so much, but like, I just don't think anyone but Luke could have been silver. Absolutely with Toby not. Stevens Flint. Like it just couldn't, no one, no one could yeah. have done it. No, no one could have gone toe to toe and, you know, still made you question who are you going to root for? You know, mm -hmm. It, it was just a monumental feat of acting that yeah. uh, that he was doing, especially towards the end. It's absolutely fantastic. Just mm -hmm. phenomenal performances. Going, I keep thinking about the costuming because that's come up. Uh, Eleanor's, you know, she's in her like fancy dress and she just looks so uncomfortable. Like yeah. she just looks so uncomfortable the whole time. But Max and Adele are wearing the same things and they do not look uncomfortable. They look very pretty. And I mean, Eleanor looks pretty too, of course, but like, they don't like, they don't look like it's not them. Yeah. They look like they're, they look like there's some pretty ladies wearing some nice clothes, you know? Um, whereas she looks like super, super uncomfortable. Yeah. And, she know, looks like a I, bird that's had her wings clipped is what yeah, she looks like. Exactly. That's it. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, that like hurts my feelings because it's so true um but like it yeah and then and then also like thinking about silver I'm like all over the place but it's like these dots are connected in my head it, we talked about the coats right 
when mm-hmm. like season four right he get like silver gets like a fancy coat right like yeah like, toward the end like he 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 also sort of i don't know it's it's like there's this the, the coats are just very important and black sails they like carry a lot of meaning the costumes mm-hmm. in general but the coats i think like there's a lot there i think that's just interesting to think about that that silver also like his like his wardrobe changes as he becomes more like dominant or more like equal with flint right like he's he's not wearing his like kind of like cute little sailor boy like striped shirt or you know he's wearing like this almost like military kind of looking deal you know um mm-hmm. it's really interesting the way the way that that shows up in the show and also the hair because you can generally tell a black sales characters like mental health based on how messed up their hair looks because when they're doing well it's like glossy it's like groomed and when they're not doing well it's like you know it's not great so like I, I, it's there's so much so much detail put into all of those things um yeah anyway I yeah I just went off on one but it made sense in my brain so. <laughs> all right so we were talking about Eleanor um let's get back to your writing what mm-hmm. um is a a favorite passage of yours that you've written uh one that you're um, just really deeply proud of from like well like overall like from overall anything. yeah mm-hmm. well so this was an interesting one because you know you asked me about that and um the ones that I did that were some of my favorite favorites were not things that I wanted to say out loud on a podcast. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I got it. <laughs> so, so that took that that took me a minute, and 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 so what I what I actually ended up looking at was my most recent one I wrote, which was a like a silver Mahdi fanfic um, that is complete. It was like a real different thing for me because. I usually like have have written explicit fic with with cis men and this was like not that because it you know it was Maudie um and then I also in this one I wrote Silver as Trans and so it was like a real different kind of thing to write like you know just even just in terms of like 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 physical just you know descriptions of things was mm-hmm. uh, f- for me writing that was it was different but it was like really fun but the part that um that I really liked was when I'm I'm talking about kind of like their relationship and um the differences with with her and Flint and so the the passage so the context is they're 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 like sitting on the beach together and I'm I'm sort of recapping some things about like the time Silver spent um with Maddie when you know after Flint left um for a while and so um they were both heirs to something of great importance and could understand each other in a way that not many people could as their friendship had grown stronger it began to blossom into something more it was unlike anything Silver had experienced before he was used to relationships being fraught, love and turmoil intertwined, but with Madi, but being with Madi, it was easy. Their connection was built on stability rather than chaos. Um, 
So that, yeah, that was the one that stood out to me because I really, nice. I, I love their relationship so much. I, 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 yeah, they, they both are this sort of like heir apparent, you know, they're both the, like the, the prince who's gonna, you know, inherit the throne. And I think they, they have an understanding there that like no one else could really have. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And yeah. Thank you. Based on stability rather than chaos I, that, mm-hmm. that I, I fully understand. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things that I was going to mention, uh, but I forgot amidst a, we lost connection for a sec. Yeah is one of the reasons that going back to our Eleanor conversation that I really feel like I relate with Eleanor is early on when I was first watching the show, I did feel so much of a kinship to her in terms of, you know, struggles with her relationship with her father. And, you know, and I felt like there's a quote from the film Capote where Truman Capote is talking about relating to one of the killers. Mm. And he said in learning about his childhood, he was saying that it was so much like his own. He said, it's almost like he got up and I went out the front door and he went out the back door. And it Mm. was there that our lives can, our, our lives and paths diverged. And you know, it's that whole statement, that whole um, mentality. I grew up in the South. So, you know, there, but for Mm -hmm. the grace of God, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I've heard that phrase so many times and, you know, regardless of whether you're relating it to Christianity or spirituality of any way, but we all have those opportunities. We all have those points in our lives where one single choice can divert our path Mm -hmm. to one way or another and Mm -hmm. looking back and being able to see those points where we stumbled or where we made a wrong choice. What's heartbreaking is you can't change it. Even Mm -hmm. if you can see it, you can't, you also can't change who you became after that point, Mm -hmm. just because you can see the point where you changed. It doesn't mean you can undo all that damage. And that is what, to me, breaks my heart about Eleanor, because I think she sees that point. And I think she sees it the whole time. And I think she is fully confronted in it when she is laying there, dying in the dirt, and Flint is holding her, and she just asks him desperately, please lie to me. Mm-hmm. and yeah. he sees it he understands it and he tells her the lie I think she yeah. knows it's a lie and thinks she's asking she knows she knows him and she knows that that this is what yeah. he would do and uh, that is why in a sea of Eleanor hate I understand mm-hmm. her I disagree with her I'm disappointed with her but d- deep down I I can't fully hate her and I don't think I think that's one of the strong points of the entire series is that there are very few characters other than Dufresne (laughs) (laughs) that you can fully deeply say I just despise this person Mm 
Yeah. Like I, you can, you can see humanity in every single character. And, you know, that's how it is in life. You know, we don't have, we very seldom have clear cut villains. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the show. It's also what has me really, really excited about the Percy Jackson series. Because just if they are bringing that same uh, mindset and mentality to the writing of that show, like I'm, I am all in. I'm very excited. Very excited. Yeah. And I I think I I totally agree with you. And I think that was actually the part like where that was kind of like my empathy breakthrough with Eleanor was when she died. And that's like, yeah, I hate that it it had to be there. But I think that was where it was because, you know, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about Flip being kind of a father figure in a way in her last moment he was there and he did lie to her and I think she knew he lied but but it it was a that's probably one of the best choices Flint ever made I think it was kind and he didn't need to do it but he did he chose to be kind mm-hmm. um and I think and Eleanor ultimately doesn't cry um Eleanor ultimately did protect Maudie yeah and like she did make what I did so good about not crying this whole time. She, <laughs> it's okay. I I can't help it. It's Maudie. Like she, you know, I love yeah. her so much. Um, but she, yeah, Eleanor ultimately did choose to do that. And like she did decide at that point to do the right thing. And like that, yeah, if she if she was just hateable, that would be easier. You know, um, I think you know, I think, like, I've talked to, like, you know, friends who are also, like, very big, like, Vane fans, like I am, who are just, like, very, like, you know, Team Charles Vane was right, you know, and, and, and I think there's almost this feeling of, like, even if you hate Eleanor, you have to love her a little bit, because you can't understand Charles Vane if you don't love Eleanor a little bit, Um, Yeah. you know, and then I, I was, you know, I come at it from his perspective because that's how I'm used to thinking, but like that's why writing this was so interesting because I was, you know, switching that. And and it was impulsive. I didn't plan to write this. I just like suddenly felt like I had to um mm-hmm. one day. Um, it was weird. And it yeah, like like I think that's like giving her that like final moment where it let us see like some of her better qualities Mm -hmm. but I think it also let her see that too yeah um she understood that she had with whatever whatever she had left she could make it right in some way yeah how much blood did she lose dragging Maddie out of the house yeah like that's that that's one of the things that that has haunted me a little bit is that she might have survived if she had just gotten herself out but she chose to get maddie out too yeah and you know i think like for someone who spent her whole life trying to get affirmation from from men because even when she was with max their dynamic was different than than the way she is in her relationships with men And, and and she that was clearly something she she was seeking and i kind of love that in the end like she's she dies like protecting someone that she thinks of as a sister 
Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, there's it's a lot more complicated with you know Monty being a slave. I mean that you know there's like that whole layer of of their story there that that makes it different. But but from Eleanor's perspective, that Monty was her sister when they yeah. were little. Like she sees it. I kind of I just love that like in the end, like she chooses to protect another woman. Mm. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. She has done so much to damage her relationships with other women throughout the entire course of the story. And in her last moments, yeah. She was like, No, you are my sister, and I will yeah. not let you die by yourself. Yeah. And yeah. Uh yeah. It's such it's, it's-, it's such powerful writing and just the the respect that the writers have for the characters no every single one of them no matter where they fall in the story no matter whether they are supporting the protagonist protagonists or not like the care that they take for these characters yeah even Beringer, yeah. <laughs> even fucking Beringer. like yeah. they still give Beringer that moment with his locket yeah, yeah. like just the human they are they the writers are desperate for you to see the humanity in everyone and i think that's such a beautiful message especially that this is our episode for pride month is seeing the beauty in everyone i think that humanity is important because you see how someone who has redeeming qualities could also you know, like, like Flint, Flint's like really likable. He's, he, like his whole motivation is, is around like love and heartbreak and he murders his best friend. It's important to, to be humble enough to recognize that we're, we, we could also do something not great if, if we just assume that that wouldn't happen. Exactly. Yeah, like if we if we forget that if we're thinking that everybody has the capability to do something, do something deeply dark, deeply evil, we also have to understand that that regardless of who you are, everybody has the the capacity for great good and for great love. Yeah. And I think I think that is a thing that does separate certain mindsets from other mindsets is that. Yeah people who are tolerant and more open-minded are looking for the good in other people mm-hmm. and people who are shut off and closed off and saying, if you do not believe this way, if you do not see life through my particular lens, then you are not even worthy of my time, attention, or affection you know, you're not worthy of love and support. And that is, I think that is a, a fundamental difference. If we all could see yeah. the the good in each other as as alongside of the bad, then, you know, yeah. I think the, the world would be infinitely better. Yeah. And, you know, that's like, it's, it's, it's so tough because it's like, I, I believe that, you know, in theory and then also it's hard because there is so much like like fucked up ideology that it's like like oh yeah clearly 
clearly there are times where you have to draw a line, you know, around like certain things where it's like, yeah, like this shit hurts people, right? Like, yeah, like, like, like turfs, right? Like, like fuck mm-hmm. that. Like, no, no, I'm not gonna like listen to that shit. But like, they're also still humans, and I think that's important because it's easier to think of people like that as not human and it's more painful to think that other people are that bad you know I I think I think that's where like the difference is it's not like an excuse for like or, or like trying to say like oh well they have like a good side it's more like about being able to recognize like the nuance of uh, of just like humanity and that like you know we can know where to draw a line and draw boundaries around like not entertaining like you know fascist ideas and you know exactly yeah it's hard I think it's just hard to think of bad people as having humanity and I think thinking black sales they do a really good job of showing that for the most part like even like even like Rogers you know you see his humanity it's not flattering he's narcissistic he's like but you see where he can be wounded Mm -hmm. you know like and then I mean Jack certainly did but you know like you see like like the squishy part right like the part that you can poke at and I think that's a real strength in the show is that they can show them like you mentioned Behringer like that I love that they like give us that because it's like oh he's got like he's terrible but he also has a family but, yeah that, someone's gonna miss him someone's, someone's gonna cry gonna miss yeah him, but it also doesn't make him not terrible you know so it's like it's, it's exactly it's, yeah that, that's what I yeah yeah because it's like someone who has all of those same connections all of those same you know the the wife and kids waiting at home and and who can put on that facade of the father and and go and be warm can still go out and do all these awful things yeah and that to me is truly terrifying it is way more terrifying to think of someone who has who ha- who can compartmentalize that part of himself and still yeah. go out and do the- these horrible, devastating things and constantly being reminded of that fact should be a lesson to everybody that we mm-hmm. all have the opportunity to go out and, and you know, make these bad decisions, um, yeah. you know, and the, the onus is on us every day. Every day you yeah. walk out the door and you decide, how am I going to make the world better? Yeah. And every decision that you make is either spurring you towards that goal or away from that goal. And it's interesting because in Black Sails, that choice is put to the characters on an episode basis. Like every episode, the Mm -hmm. characters have that choice. Am I going to do something good for me or am I going to do something good for everyone? And Mm -hmm. in the end, that becomes the final decision that rips Flint and Silver apart. Am mm-hmm. I going to do something that is good for me now? Or am I going to do something that is good for everyone going forward? And that mm-hmm. is that is the final decision. It's, yeah. it's interesting because not only do our characters have to make that decision, but the audience watching has to choose a side. It's almost impossible yeah. not to. 
I have such an interesting like relationship with that because I think he was wrong. I think he did the wrong thing. I think it was a bad choice. I think mm-hmm. he took agency away from Monty and Flint, but I just in particular with Monty, I, I think that was wrong of him and, and he should not have done that. And I also think I would have done the same thing he did, which yeah, is it's... really weird to think about, but I'm like, I get it. I might've done that too. I could totally see being scared enough my for my loved ones to to do something like that and decide like okay it's better for them to be alive and mad at me which is is hard to think of because I do think it was the wrong thing I don't think you should oh yeah as a parent now as a parent now that decision is very easy for me to make I would like to think that if there was some you know epic you know final stand battle between good and evil happening I'd be like okay go forth no I'm locking my kids in the basement and we're not leaving. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it is interesting when the stakes are higher, when you have so much to lose. Flint had nothing left. He had nothing left. And it's just, it's it's just such a masterfully, masterfully ending. I felt that so much, but I also said, and this is where my relationship with Black Sales is interesting. I knew about Thomas before I watched the show because my partner, like I said, it's his favorite show. I had seen the reunion scene before. I only remembered two things about Black, like this actual, like things I had seen. And it was the scene where Anne goes to Eleanor to say like, hey, let's team up and you know, kill all these rapists, right? Like, I remember that um, mm-hmm. scene, which I didn't, you know, and I didn't know the context for it. I just knew, like, okay, that's Anne Bonnie and something's going on. And then I knew about, I knew about Flint. I knew he was queer. And I knew about, you know, like, like sort of general things about the story. Um, I still know almost nothing about Treasure Island, by the way. Like, I know, like, like some, it's very vague. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> but, um, Mostly I know Treasure Planet, but I knew about Thomas. I knew he was alive and I had seen their reunion like like years before I actually watched the show. And it didn't hit when I saw it because you my partner Nick, he showed it to me and he was, oh my gosh, like they're his boy it's his boyfriend and they're in love and he's alive. And he was like, you know, freaking out. And I didn't I hadn't seen the show, so like I didn't know what was going on, but I was just like, I'm happy for you, I guess. But I, you know, because I hadn't seen it, I didn't know how impactful that was. So it's interesting because I knew that was coming. I knew the whole show that that Thomas was alive. That's a weird, like, one thing to know about Black Sales going into it. But so that definitely impacted my, like, the amount of devastation I felt, I think, toward the end because I, like, knew that was coming like I knew he was gonna mm-hmm. um yeah and so yeah so that was that was just a little interesting with my relationship to to how I first saw the show yeah that is interesting like I haven't I've heard of a heard a lot of people who went in spoiled for Flint being queer mm-hmm. but I haven't heard a lot of people spoiled going in knowing that Thomas is alive at the end 
Mm-hmm. That must have made for a much, much different viewing experience through the whole was, exact thing. Cause you have that hanging over the entire story. And I did well, and, 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 you know, actually since the kind of like, I, I also didn't at first, I didn't know for sure if it was Thomas, I knew that he had a boyfriend who was alive at the, was like, kind of like the thing I sort of remembered from, cause this was years before I watched the show, you know, so okay. like I didn't. And I don't have the best memory. So like, I, it was, it was kind of vague, you know? So I was like, I think it's going to be Thomas, but maybe not. But like, then, then by season four, it was pretty clear that it, that it was, but um, yeah, that was an interesting thing to be spoiled for. Um, I'm kind of like, I'm okay with it. I don't mind that I was like, and you know, my partner, he always, you know, he asked before he spoiled stuff for me. So I, you know, I told him like, sure, go ahead. But um you know, it, it was definitely interesting because like, I, I, I was watching certain things happening, like contact, like, like Max contacting the, the jailers, right? Like, like, like those, those little things that you don't pick up on necessarily mm-hmm. in your first watch. I, I knew what was happening. So because, you caught those the first time. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. This is what's going to happen. They're talking about, I knew that he was in like a, like a prison colony like so I because I remembered the visual imagery yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it was so so yeah so I knew that was gonna happen and I think you know my partner he wanted to to share it with me because I I think that was Black Sales was really important for him with his own um like identity and stuff so like I think it was like it was like very important he's like loves uh Flynn Thomas very much so um as as do we all but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so tell me a little bit about your process. Um, do you have any playlists that you like to write to? How do you get yourself into the headspace to sit down and write? Yeah, so I do have so many playlists. I have a million Black Sales playlists. Um, I have a whole Twitter thread with like links to all of them because I have them for like different pairings, different characters. The one that I listen to for this is my one it's called lady honeypot was the title of it because i always love <laughs> i always love that line it's the only nickname anyone ever calls eleanor that isn't mean <laughs> um which so, so that's kind of why i picked it and and it's it's got a lot of like angry 90s girl rock and then also some like bubblegum pop and like mm-hmm. r&b like ariana grande like kind of stuff on there it's like it's like ariana grande but also like whole you know, yeah, and like Tori Amos. So it's like it's it's it it feels very Eleanor, I think. And then yeah, and then but but they're all really different. So it kind of depends on what I'm writing. I have a gen- generic thick writing playlist that's just like a bunch of random stuff. And I named it Sick of These Pirate Captains and Their Slutty Little Wastes. Um <laughs> so so yeah, I have like so many of them. And so it just like kind of depends on like the mood I'm going for and the fic I'm writing and the character. Um, but I definitely use music a lot. Usually I plot out my fix, like I kind of outline them in general of like, okay, at this point I want this to happen and then I want this to happen. This one was like stream of consciousness. This one was like, I it was like I've been thinking about Eleanor Guthrie for three days straight and I can't stop and I have to write this. And, and just sort of did. It was like, I wrote it all like at once, like in the same day, I, you know, and, and I went back and edited later, but it, 
it was very much like a thing that had to happen. Um, so um, that was really interesting because it was really different from my normal process. Yeah, it's almost like because I've had I've had times where um, my writing was like that too, where it literally woke me up in the middle of the night. I mean, I I haven't written any fan fiction, but I I wrote short stories and poetry for a long time. Um, I haven't been in a headspace where I've been able to actually sit down and write anything that is other than like an essay or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just chaos upstairs. Um, but I equate something like that where it, it just has to come out is like a like a bloodletting. You just have to purge it from your system and then it's yeah. gone and you can let it stew and it will fester or you get it out and it's pure. Um, mm-hmm. The longer, and that's one of the things, the longer I've, I've let an idea sit without getting it down, the more corrupted it becomes. Get it out yeah. when it's nice and pure and yeah. um, just let it be, let it breathe. Exactly. Well, and, and, and I think that was important for this fic too, because again, I'm kind of a hater and I tried to be really fair to her. Like I try, like a lot of the things that I wrote are not flattering. They're not like the things that I think she would think that are distorted and not reality and so I I don't think it makes her like look good I tried not to include anything that was just mean for no reason I tried not to be like harsh on her unnecessarily I tried to really objectively think about what do I think she was thinking here and how do I think she was feeling Um, and so I think that was important for me to do it then because I actually did have to like delete some lines because I was just like, Mary, that's just you being a bitch to Eleanor. Like that's not even <laughs> like, that's just like <laughs> not even true. Like that, like she wouldn't think that you're just like being mean for no reason. So like, there were a couple of like snarky little things I like, I took out before, you know, the, before I published it because it just wasn't, it didn't fit, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think it was important to do it like when it needed to happen. So I didn't start to like overthink it. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked about it is that it is a very fair look at Eleanor, but it's also interesting in the amount of lies that she tells herself. And, you know, that becomes very clear and it's not, you don't approach it in an accusatory manner. It just is who she is. And mm-hmm. and that is how she survives is yeah. she she lies to herself. She has blinders on. It's how she gets through her her, her days. It's how she sleeps. It's how she can look mm-hmm. at herself in the mirror. Reading that, reading the the fic, I would not have been able to tell that you fully hated Eleanor uh, because it is quite fair. And it is moving in a in a way where you understand the situation that she feels that she is in, even though she's placed herself there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like it's uh, that's where it kind of comes back to like I do relate to some of like her not particularly good qualities, where at least I think you know I think maybe I'm less like her than I used to be when I was younger. I was I was joking about this with I was talking to some friends about. I'm doing this. And, and I was joking that, um, 
if like Eleanor and I had been like friends in high school, we would have had like a sort of like intense codependent homoerotic friendship that would end when one of us like fucked the other one's boyfriend. Like, like that would absolutely be my dynamic <laughs> with Eleanor. Like, like it would just be this really like fraught, like girl drama. We, we have to be competitive for no reason. Like, I just, I just know that's like how we would have been, um, <laughs> you know, that, that competitive for no reason thing, but uh, it, yeah. So it, I, I can, I think, I think writing this did help me empathize with her more it makes me sad. I think, I think she makes me sad really more than anything, because I can see how she thinks the, like those, like, again, like all those things she said to Van, I can see that she thinks them about herself. I can see that she really doesn't think she's lovable. And it's kind of hard to be a great person when it's kind of like, if you don't think that you have any worth why are you going to try to do better because nothing is going to matter because you don't have any worth in the first place and I kind of think that's where Eleanor is at is like she does she can't see herself as like worthy so she makes you know makes the choices that she makes in order to either convince someone that she is because she can't she can't tell herself that like someone needs to tell it her that she is she you know she's like not capable of um believing that like from the inside um, mm-hmm. which is very relatable like that's honestly too relatable and I I know as sometimes I still like that I that's the way I've felt at a lot of points in my life and like I think that's something that like you know if I feel like I'm not doing my best like in my relationships so like, like I I think I tend to my brain will jump to like, yeah, well, you fucking suck. You know, and it's, it's like, it's so harsh for, mm-hmm. for you know, like un- unnecessarily. So when I can say that now, like, cause I'm thinking about it logically, but in the moment, I think it's hard to convince myself that that's not true. Yeah. And I've definitely like come a long way with that. It doesn't happen as often as it used to, but I think that Eleanor feels like that always. I think she feels like that 24-7. And I've been there before and it sucks. And, you know, I made different choices than she would. And I think that's the, you know, the the betrayal of loved ones is like where my difficulty with, you know, that's kind of like my inherent like point at which I can't, I can't deal with her because like that's so that's very the opposite of what I would do but Mm -hmm. uh, in other ways we're like yeah I think she feels like that I think she yeah I think she just feels like that all the time and it's really it's really hard to live like that and that's really sad yeah um and it also doesn't like excuse her either so it's like complicated you know yeah one of the this show one of the things the show does is like we've talked about many different parallels today and another parallel that they do set up is Eleanor and Maudie get the exact same treatment from Woods Rogers if you look at back when Eleanor is first captured she's in London and uh she's in prison and he comes to see her after she has been captured and she's bedraggled and she is broken down to 
just her the base core of who who she is all of her character is distilled in that moment and he makes her an offer Mm. and you can either help me or you can hang Mm. same thing with Madi. Madi has been captured she has been draggled she has been sitting in a prison and he goes to her and he makes her an offer you can help me you can sign this treaty and you can stop this war or you will hang i will kill i will kill john that is the offer and then where the characters diverge where you see the weakness in eleanor where she completely folds whatever yes just tell me what i need to sign and then Maddie, i will die fighting mm-hmm. i hear a chorus of voices a multitude that that's where i think they're their their backgrounds like are so different and and it impacts them and obviously Maddie you know she she was enslaved like that that there's that piece of it and Eleanor has like a huge amount of privilege in that situation so I I want to you know emphasize that obviously I don't think that like Maddie had it easier or anything but Maddie does have family she has people she has like a lot of people that love her and Mm -hmm. I think like seeing like a care she's one of the few characters in the show that we see have like people who love her and that she loves and and Maddie is capable of such deep compassion um Mm -hmm. and I think that's like where her and her and Flint differ too is that Maddie really truly is motivated by her her love of her people like like I think that's like her core goal whereas you know Flint's is is reactionary it's 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 retaliatory right like I think he does believe in the ideal that they're trying you know like the the coalition building you know like I think and and you know like like abolition like I think he believes that I don't think he's like it isn't, you know, I, I think that that's like, those are ideal he, he holds, but I also think that his, his motivation is, is largely personal. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas hers, like it is in some ways, but it's also really not, it's not really about her. And I think that's the difference with her and Eleanor there too, is Eleanor doesn't have anyone else. Like at that point, at that point, Vane was the only person she still had in her corner and she betrayed him. Yep. And she doesn't have anyone. There's like literally no one that will be on her side. So she, she I think she makes the choice that she feels like she has to make, right? Whereas mm-hmm. Madi has these deep connections. She has these loving relationships. She has a greater goal. And like Vane, honestly, in season three, like he chooses to not be saved because he sees the bigger picture Madi also sees the bigger picture and she's like no I, like it's not it's not about me you know and I think that's like the, the inherent difference is like in the in in those connections with other people yeah so do you have um getting back to discussing uh <laughs> writing and and fix do you have any favorite tropes to write yeah, so um, my favorite trope of just all time reading and writing is Enemies the Lovers. 
I love it. I love writing Vane and Flint. I love that. I love writing just like gratuitous smut that like doesn't even really make that much sense. I wrote an <laughs> AU that was like a biker. It was like a biker bar thing. And like, it was very Sons of Anarchy, you know, and like they were like rival. But it was like, I love writing that. Um, I like to write... Like I said, I write mostly, mostly smut, but I'm kind of branching out. Like I kind of want to do more stuff like this character studies, but I mm-hmm. do write a lot of like, like BDSM and like kink fic, um, just cause it's fun to do the, so many good like dynamics and, um, especially with, with black sales. So I enjoy writing that. Uh, and <laughs> it's funny cause I mentioned this before and this is black sales specific, but I have a real well, okay, it's not black sales specific because I, I I can't not write people holding hands for some reason. I'm always writing about people holding hands and especially Charles Vane. But yeah, <laughs> but because he's always trying to hold everybody's hand. And so he is, he's always trying to hold hands with Eleanor and she's like, nev- like never tr- wants to do it, but he tries so much. And I like to just like, it's like, it's, it's funny because it's like kind of back and forth with like, like really kind of like intense, like either like BDSM stuff or like stuff where it starts violent. And then, you know, like enemies, the lover stuff where they're like fighting and, um and then, and then turns into something else. But then I also really like to write things like, hair brushing and like holding hands and Mm. really like soft so it's kind of like um opposite extremes and uh what is your background in creative writing yeah so it's kind of so I used to write stories and stuff when I was younger like like kind of casually um I wrote a few fics they were you know when I was like a teenager unfortunately it was like Harry Potter which like I'm not into because you know fuck turfs and all that but like yeah but I've kind of gotten out of it and I like would read fanfic but I never really like wrote it much and and it was difficult for me actually because I was in school um I did, you know, I did my undergrad and then I went to graduate school and I wrote a lot and I ha- I had to write a lot, um, but it was scientific papers. It was mm-hmm, research. Mm-hmm. It was, it was very like structured research papers. It's very boring, very dry. And so going back to writing fiction was hard because like, what do you mean I get to use an adjective? I'm going to, f- and I struggled at first with putting too much description in because I was mm-hmm. like so excited. I did like be able to, to, to do it. Um, so I had, you know, but that was interesting because that was like a difficult transition because my writing style had gotten very fixed in that sort of like structured research paper kind of way. And then the other things I write is like, sometimes I'll write some poetry and I like to write letters. I write letters to people a lot and that's kind of like in just sort of a stream of consciousness way and that's that's my I guess that's kind of creative writing that's like my other besides fanfic that's my favorite thing to do letter writing is an art and for you know if you look back in in you know Jane Austen era (laughs) where everybody sat around and they they read the letters out loud that they Mm -hmm. had received like you strip everything away in terms of our modern society and technology and things like that. And like basic human correspondence, just telling each other stories of our lives, like 
mm-hmm. there is there is it is very much a lost art mm-hmm. i love it it's so fun and it always makes everyone happy everyone likes to get a letter oh know? my gosh yeah it's so good yeah yeah. That's why, like, this is going to age me, but I remember when we used to write each other long emails, you know, like yeah. no one uses emails anymore and, you no. know, and, and it's all texting now. And like, I, I like to talk to people. I like to mm-hmm. either write because I, I find it very easy for me to put my thoughts in order when I'm, when I'm writing. And I, I think my strength as a writer is that I'm able to write in my, my speaking voice, um, Mm. that I can, I can write conversationally without much struggle, but I love to talk on the phone. And so Mm -hmm. I, that was a huge struggle for me when I was living in Japan is that, um, my, I had this desperate need to talk to friends and family back home. Um, and everybody just wanted to like, they were just going to text me. And I'm just like, no, I can't uh-huh. do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to hear voices. Yeah, yeah I'm like, I'm on list. the other side of the world and I miss you. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, it's the human connection part. Like that's like we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, like when I first started talking to Anne, like that was just <laughs> someone who was willing to, to talk to me for yeah. hours on end about yeah. stuff that we're both passionate about. Same. Like that was yeah. just wonderful. Like it's great. Yeah. It's, the, yeah. This fandom yeah. is, is phenomenal. It draws people who are compassionate, who are interesting, who are intelligent. Like it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's better. It's different than any group that I've ever been involved in, in the past. It's, and I've, I have had my fandom experiences, but this is wholly unique. Yeah. I've never uh, I've never experienced a fandom like this. Like there have been fandoms that were like fun and like, you know, I like made friends and stuff like that, but like it's just got a really unique vibe in the way people like, I mean, I think I, I think I came along to it at a good time, um, is, is what I hear, you know, cause like, I, I think that it had kind of settled, you know, cause the show wasn't like uh brand new. So like the fandom was mostly like the core people who were like ride or die black sales fandom right so I think when I came to it which was like last summer it it was like the perfect time um because like there were like new people in the fandom but also like it was sort of like rejuvenated so but it's been like it's just a really truly different fandom experience than I've ever had and I've made like friends that are like my like some of my best friends in the whole world now like not just like internet but like like true friends um and that's really unique because I've made friends from fandom before but like not in the same kind of way and I think it's just like it just draws a certain kind of person and a certain like that like I don't know. I, th- I think this fandom draws specific people for a reason. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've, it's, everyone's just been so nice to me. Like, I've just, you know, it's, I've not encountered like a lot of the, the stuff that, you know, you normally find that's like not great in fandom. So yeah, yeah. it's been like Toxic. a really cool, 
yeah it's just it's just so it's it's been a really like unique fandom experience for sure mm-hmm. yeah so uh are you working on anything right now um yeah sort of so i'm working on a disco elysium fan fiction and then um i've got like some drafts you know i've got like like a, some of my like half finished adhd like six that um there's like a vein rackham one there's like a vein flint one a prequel to my first fic that's that's silver flint um but i'm i'm i don't know if i I keep saying I'm going to do that one, but I keep struggling to like get it. Um, but I like, I like to write, I, I might, I might pick up the vein flint one a lot. Vein flint is a fun one for me to write. It's almost like a palette cleanser for like writing silver flint. And it's like really intense and then like mm-hmm. emotionally, like, you know, cause vein flint is just like, it's just like guys, pressing their bods together and you know it's not that complicated um <laughs> so um but yeah and then I'm I'm have been talking with a friend about doing like a witcher crossover kind of thing and then the other one that I have an outline for so I'm like kind of like and I haven't like fully started anything I'm kind of like excited but it's actually a character study one on Joji that I really want to write oh like, okay I'm obsessed with Joji and because I'm like hey man what are you doing here how'd you get here what's going on and I have in my head an entire backstory for him and it's probably not even going to come up in the thick much because what I want to do is write about him right before his duel with Flint and at the end of season four um Mm, and sort of like kind of like I did Bellner's and kind of like his thought process and what's what's going on with him internally and his relationship with Flint and his relationship with death. And, you know, like I have a whole, yeah, like this whole like samurai backstory thing going on that I know about, but is, is mostly just for me, you know? So I kind of want to write that because I'm, Joji is so interesting because he's someone that we know, like two things we know about Joji are that he's good at torture and that Flint trusts him of all people to protect Abigail. And I think those are two really interesting details about him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I just find him very fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because so much of the Japanese culture is about um, honor and respect. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, even though I think the show vastly underutilizes him, mm-hmm. I think it does when you distill that what we do get in regards to him um it does does ring as true it does ring as honest mm-hmm. so what are your and I, and i know this is a hard question for everybody <laughs> what are your top five favorite black sales fix okay so i thought very hard about this a co- so i have to say a couple of them are like written by really good friends of mine but this is genuinely my list and I read them before we were really good friends, so it doesn't even count. Um, so my absolute favorite, favorite ever Black Sales pick is What's in a Name by Ghost Van Bonnie, um, which is like a Charles Vane backstory fanfic. I did do a sensitivity read for one of the chapters that's about like his, his trauma, um, mm-hmm. just because com- coming from my um, perspective. I'm working in like mental health and stuff. Um, and it's, 
it's really cool. I love Charles Vane and I love the um the take on like what his life might have been before uh the beginning of the show. So that's that's like my that's like my favorite favorite because it's I mean it's Vane and it's it's just so good. So then the next one, and I think this one you might be doing, um, is uh there most certainly lies a dark moment between here and there yep um, yep by short john silver yeah so yes so what's interesting is i'm we're doing we're going to be doing both of those so what's in a name Ooh. is going to be a series that we're do, that we're going to do Ooh, that's and, exciting. yes and we're also going to do uh there must certainly lies a dark moment so that one is coming up as well that's going to be a really good one to do and i like yeah that's a, another really good like a good character study one um and that one you know he he wrote it in ukrainian and then translated it and i was gonna attempt to say the original name of it but i didn't have enough time to practice it and i didn't <laughs> i was gonna say it bad and i'm yeah so i i didn't try but that's cool about it that it's got it's got both the ukrainian and the english version and so my next favorite one, this is funny, is um, the, it's a series. It's the Sack of James Flint series by Princess K, um, colloquially known as Sack Saga, which is, it was not something I would have picked out to read because it's just not my thing. And everyone was like, you got to read this though. Like, especially after reading the way I wrote flint and silver's dynamic in my first book i had mm -hmm. people at i had people ask me if i had read this one um already because i wrote i write silver as dominant with mm -hmm. flint and i think that's like a lot of times it's the other way around and so everyone was like read this one and it was so yeah snack saga it, it is a like a BDSM like like Silver Flint series that involves we're gonna just say CBT but not the mental health kind the other kind and which is not something I would have picked out to read but this fic this series is so wild because it is like this like intense like kink fic but by the but it's also like gets into the relationship so deeply but by the end of it I was like crying like so emotional about their relationship and so it's like really funny because like you go into it going like really y'all like are you like I just don't think this is for me and then by the end it's like I'm just like weeping um because <laughs> it was so emotional so yes that that's my that's another one and then um so the uh the other ones I picked, um, Such Terrible Hungers by Etwell is a really, that's just like, I don't know. It's like a really fun one. It's, yeah, it's just one of my favorites. Like it's, it's, it's like a kind of like, like low stakes almost. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, a lot of times I read, you know, if I read Silver Flint, it's like super intense and like, um emotional and angsty and this one's just like not like it's got that but it's yeah it's more, um it's yeah it's a little more just you know porn 
Um, <laughs> it, yeah, but it's it's fun. It's fun to read. Um, and then the other one is the Any Port in a Storm, which I think is a series by uh, Farasha. I think is yeah. how you say it. Yeah. Um, I really like that one. Um, I'm not sure. Have you read that one before? I have. I have. And and um, that one has been mentioned by, um, I think Jay mentioned it uh, last episode. Um, okay. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, those are those are are great there um there's another uh series like some of the very first if like you do the uh silver flint filter and then Mm -hmm. go all the way back to like the first page um Mm -hmm. some of those the earliest ones there's an au where and it's by farishaw where um james mcgraw prior to meeting thomas meets silver as a young sailor oh my gosh so yeah look that one up there's a going to (laughs) feeling really normal about that right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh my god yeah i linked it in one of the discord servers but um Yeah, because I was like, oh. someone had someone had said they were they were wanting to see more um, pre-canon stuff, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, have I got one? Have I got mm-hmm. one for you? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, I'll I'll send you the link to that. <laughs> okay. I've actually, you know, you said more pre-canon stuff. I've wanted to write some like a charles and eleanor relationship like pre-canon like with like the falling out with teach and all of that and like i i like the idea of um writing uh jack and Anne and charles all like when they first um come together so yeah it's, i think some pre-canon stuff would be fun mm. Mm. yeah all right <laughs> are there any like avenues that you have yet to explore in your writing or in terms of places that you want to bring these characters um, that you feel like you haven't been able to or uh, something that you've planned in the future for? Yeah, so like one thing that w- that was big for me because I do, you know, writing, uh, in particular writing like Smutfic, but like even just like in general, I'm trying to write more like, like, not cis men essentially like because that's like how what I've tended to do is writing like um you know like men who love men like cis dudes um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so the silver money one was like that was why that was like such a, a a change for me so I'm I'm trying to write like even like the disco Elysium fic I'm writing is a lesbian AU where the two characters from it um who are like men in the game I'm writing them as lesbians so yeah I'm trying to write like yeah like more women like more trans characters like more like just kind of um and especially with black sales like I just it's just it already feels so queer all the time that it works and I'm just like I'm just gonna like like mess around with all your genders and like um 
so yeah I'm just trying to trying to like branch out in that way so I'm not staying in that little bubble that I think mm-hmm. I I used to feel more comfortable with so that's a that's a um and then I really want to write more of Zane and Jack because that's my like that's my black sales OTP I I love Zane and Jack mm-hmm. and I have the fucking hardest time writing Jack because I it's his it's his dialogue he talks so much and I have a hard time creating things for him to say for some reason and I don't know why some some characters are just so much easier to write and and I'm sure this is this way with other fandoms too but like with Black Sails for sure like some of them I just like it's really hard to get their voice and I, I did write a a vein rack I'm sick but it was a collaboration um with um Dean Bean hi Dean um and <laughs> you know she she really she wrote a lot of the good Jack dialogue like if there's like a good Jack line in that fic she probably wrote it um <laughs> whereas like and, and I think that's partly because I tend to write I, I I write about like what they're thinking and what they're feeling and it's like more like of a mood than than it is like action and dialogue and so I, I just have trouble with him but I really love them and I want to write them more um so maybe I'll work on that yeah I I do agree that um Jack I think is unique in terms of um the rest of the characters dialogue wise Jack almost feels like he's his dialogue was written for him by Aaron Sorkin like there's <laughs> he says so much and it's always in the most complicated way in which he can say it uh-huh. um on purpose uh-huh. um it's just very important to him how he uh-huh. is perceived um and that he, comes across in his dialogue jack uses every word he knows like he's gonna lose them if he doesn't you know like <laughs> yes, he, exactly. like, he yeah and i jack's honestly probably like besides eleanor i think he's the character that i i can relate to the most and i feel like um i feel like i have some of jack's better qualities and some of her like worse qualities um <laughs> but but i do yeah i do like i think some of his which might be part of why I have trouble riding him like maybe I'm maybe I'm because I'm pretty I'm kind of not kind of I'm very talkative I'm loud I'm you know I'm like um yeah kind of like um like animated in that way so so I think um yeah so maybe that's part of why I have a hard time <laughs> with him mm. yeah what what kind of advice would you give to um to writers trying to break into um writing about black sales or fan fiction in general yeah so I think one thing is like if you're struggling with a character or a moment or anything like that like refer back to the show like I would be constantly watching certain scenes like when I was writing a fic or I would pull like I would like get watch it and write down some lines from the show and like use that as a way to start a section or something you know something like that right like so taking some because I tend to write in canon 
thick. I don't, I, I wrote that one AU, but mostly I write mm-hmm. canon stuff. So I will be, I will do things like taking, like I think in this, the Eleanor fic, I took some specific lines, um, quotes from the show and incorporated them. Um, so yeah, like if you're struggling, like if you feel like you're losing a character's voice or it's starting to like go out of character in a way that you don't want it to, find some scenes that kind of like encapsulate that character for you or like the story you're writing and like watch it again for the the silver flint one that I've kind of half written that's the prequel to my other one I watched the scene of them taking the warship like so many times like I watched that whole like part of that episode over and over again because that's kind of like where it where it starts and so yeah like if I was like struggling I would go back to it um and then the other thing is like like in the spirit of black sales right like in the idea of like the power of stories and like like I think just like writing what's in your heart like not trying to because not trying to write what you think other people want to see but just writing the thing that you want to read and writing like the story that like you you that's like true to you I think is really important because you're gonna do a better job because it's it's authentic and you're gonna have more fun Mm -hmm. um, than trying to force yourself to write something that doesn't feel like what you really want to be doing or, or like you just feel like um you should be um but yeah like like you're like writing the story that you have and not the one like you think you should have yeah absolutely absolutely well it has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you today and I'm so glad um that uh you actually were one of the first listeners uh before the first episode came out um you were a, a beta listener to a vulgar mm-hmm. holy thing and thank you so much um yeah i i just listened to it and i like forgot i was actually supposed like like beta listening for a minute like i was just like listening to this audio but like i was just like into the story for, for <laughs> you know it was uh, yeah it's just incredible and i you know i, I do i want to say like how much i appreciate you're doing this podcast and like for the fandom and I think like it's such a like it's such a great fandom and there's such good fix and like the fact that you're like highlighting them in this way is like really cool because I think we like fic writers don't get that appreciation usually so I really appreciate it oh no 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 of course and yeah the writers really do not get the the feedback and the the highlight that they actually deserve um because you know everything involved in fic writing only only enhances the uh fandom that pops up around a a a piece of media and it only enhances the enjoyment of it it only draws in new fans like it does so much for the fan experience and you know people kind of come and take what they want from it but nobody really highlights the art of it and i i think that that was a space that needed to be filled um yeah so yeah. we have we have uh some 
uh, episodes already lined up. I'm going to be having at 12, I believe next month for our July mm-hmm. episode. Um, and then, um, ghost of Anne Bonnie and, uh, short John silver, um, are going to be coming on for their fic. That's the one that, um, was originally written in Ukrainian and, um, ghost of Anne Bonnie helped with the translation to English. Mm -hmm. We have, this one is exciting. So we're going to be doing The Truth About Eros, which is a fic that I read years ago. And so that one is going to be coming up. And that is by Asia Lin. Um, so we have a whole list of, of oh, and um, Two Front Teeth Slightly Crooked is going to be on the podcast. And I'm very, very excited about that. So we have we have a whole long list of of uh of episodes coming up and I'm so so excited. And thank you so much for for being such an early um cheerleader for for the podcast. I really appreciate Uh, it. Yeah and thank you so much and thanks for having me and like uh listening to me deviate to talking about Charles Vane all the time like I do and uh, (laughs) (laughs) one can argue you cannot discuss Eleanor without talking about Charles Vane (laughs) you really can't you can't I mean you really can't talk about them without the other one it's just like they're they're just too intertwined but no it was it was good and I'm, I'm glad I got to talk about this fic because it was just it 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 was something that clearly needed to happen like it was just a story that I like had to write so I it was cool to to talk about it so thank you for having me thank you so much Mary what a wonderful and searing look at one of the fandom's most divisive characters you can find Mary on Twitter and AO3 as at witch queen with two v's instead of a w you know like in the olden times Thank you to Kelsey, a.k.a. Magic Bubble Pipe, who drew the beautiful sketch of Season 3 Eleanor looking at a reflection of her former self in the mirror, featured online for today's story. You can find them on Tumblr, at Magic Bubble Pipe, and on Patreon. Kelsey does stunning work and takes commissions, so definitely check them out. And thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're returning or joining us for the first time, We appreciate you, and we'd love to hear from you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It truly does help us to be discovered by more listeners, which helps to shine a brighter spotlight on these amazing artists and creators. If you're a fanfic author and have a favorite story you'd love to hear and want to join me on the podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter, at Kenterspring, or at AudioficPod, or you can send an email to readingbetweenthelinespod at gmail.com. If you're not an author, but you've got a favorite fic you'd like me to read, all suggestions are welcome. Please reach out. Thanks again for listening. This has been Reading Between the Lines, a fanfic audio podcast. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.